Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, producer, and sports writer for LSJ. I will be introducing my co-host on this show, uh, one-on-one here, and uh, coming up first is a man who has, per a column that went up on the Lansing State Journal on Tuesday morning, taking 100% of the blame for Kenneth Walker not getting an invitation to the Heisman Trophy presentation. It's Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Graham, how are you this morning? Good. You sound like a man who just read the headline. (laughs) (laughs) I read the entire story for what it's worth, but uh, your headline says people like me are at fault. So I had to, I had to quote it, Graham. No, it's it's very much the case. (laughs) And uh, on the other side of the screen, well, at least on my screen is uh, Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer, Chris Lowry. Chris, how are you? Oh, you know, uh, if there's any you know, consolation to, to this, it's not having to make a quick turnaround to go from Minneapolis to New York, um, in my world, but that's, that's a very small consolation because it's, you know, as we will get into, I I think we all, I don't necessarily want to know if surprise is the right word, but I don't know. We'll, we'll get into, we'll get into it. For everyone who's been on uh, Twitter or any other social media outlet the past 24 hours, uh, the discourse is strong. Uh, when it comes to Michigan State running back Kenneth Walker III and him not being among the four finalists for the Heisman Trophy. And uh, we might as well just kind of start the pod- podcast all- off with that because that's what uh, everyone is talking about in the morning. And we'll also cover uh, Michigan State playing Pitt in the Peach Bowl, and then we'll talk some hoops before they open their Big Ten slate against Minnesota on Wednesday. All right, as I said, let's start with uh, Kenneth Walker. He was not among the four finalists. The four finalists for the Heisman Trophy are Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson, and Pitt QB Kenny Pickett. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's, I mean, all four people are, are worthy of their own, merit, their own merits. Don't get me wrong here, but I think people are are very upset and with good reason why the arguably the nation's best running back Kenneth Walker is not there. Graham. What was your initial reaction? I don't think your initial reaction was surprised necessarily, but what was your just reaction overall on on the group of four there? Yeah, I was a little surprised, but not not stunned because I didn't. I, Pickett surprised me a little bit. Although the more you know, now that Michigan State is playing Pitt, the more sort of work I've done on getting to know who he is as a player, not just his numbers and everything. That you know, I, I fully understand people who saw him play a lot saying that he was a um, a finalist. I just thought that, that there had been enough. First of all, Kenneth Walker elevated the entire program, and they, they were above 500 because of him. And he was—he had a Heisman moment against Michigan, and and I, I just thought there was enough of a movement and momentum for him. And maybe he was the guy that was up there for a while, and people loved to bring down, or or just got stale, or whatever. And the time, his timing wasn't great, and the timing of it was the reason I thought there was a chance it wouldn't happen. 
and wasn't stunned. It was just because his momentum was the first two months of the season. And Aiden Hutchinson had a lot of momentum late and he played very well. He also had uh, considerable pub- publicity on, uh, you know, from national, uh, national television. And then it's a quarterback award and there are a lot of quarterbacks in this thing. And that's how we, gen- I mean, 17 in the last 21 years, it's gone to a quarterback, which sort of diminishes the award because there's just no way in hell that 17 in the last 21 years, the most outstanding player in college football is a quarterback. But, meanwhile, there are, meanwhile, there are three individual quarterback awards. Right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I, so I was, again, I was, I was surprised. Uh, I felt bad for Kenneth. I, I felt bad for a Michigan State's fan base, which I think really wanted this. And I think MSU fans, Chris, correct me if you're I, I think people had reached the point, given November, where they didn't necessarily think he was going to win it, but they thought him going to New York would be sort of a reward for this season, which deserved consideration. And it's that's probably a hundred percent right. And listen, I you know did he deserve to win it? I mean, that's that's what the voting is for. Um, in my mind, in my eyes, um, you know, particularly in this era of football where everything is pass centric and pass heavy, to have a running back at the power five level run for nearly seventeen hundred yards, to run for eighteen touchdowns in a season. And to do so behind an NFL line, an offensive line that doesn't have a single NFL player on it, probably, is a tremendous accomplishment. And you can say everything that you want about every other one of those guys, but those guys, the other th- four guys that are going to New York, all have NFL talent around them. That includes Hutchison playing opposite Ajaba, which gives you a much better. And, and I know a lot of people have thrown the stat out that. What his what Hutchison's season was like was no different than Kenny Willick's from a number standpoint, but you know he he, he was good. He, there's not no questioning whether or not Aiden Hutchinson was good or even deserving to be in a conversation. Um, but on top of that, there was no conversation until the last two weeks. Second, what you you know look at, at at Young, look at Stroud. I mean, Stroud's got five guys that he's throwing the ball to that are NFL guys, and about five offensive linemen keeping him upright that will probably be offensive or NFL guys. And you you want to go to the other guy, the fourth guy, Pickett. Pickett's got a Blitnikoff finalist that he's throwing the ball to. So, and Kenneth Walker doesn't. I mean, it's you know, and and when you're a running back. You know, you've got to rely on your offensive line, but and I and I that's this is no knock to be smirks the Michigan State offensive line and the job they did because I think they created very small creases that if you didn't have the speed and vision that Walker had, um, wouldn't have resulted in 1,700 rushing yards and 18 rushing touchdowns for the guy. No, I, I agree with everything you said there. I mean, I do. You know, JD Duplain, maybe the one guy up there right now that. Jarvis, possibly. Yeah. So, I mean, but they have some fringe NFL guys. and, and, and um, But fringe NFL guys versus what the totally, other guys have around them is, is totally. a whole other world. They don't beat Miami without Walker. They they don't beat um, Michigan without Walker coming come even close. I mean, he – and I, I just thought that game, you know, everybody's hung up on the Hutchinson game, and Hutchinson was great a lot. But I, I thought that game was – a moment that would be just too visible and too much for with too much in people's uh, minds. I think the Ohio State game really, really hurt 
uh, Walker. He would have been better off. Not the Nebraska it. game. I to me, if if you did you dig her deep, the the deeper dive, it wasn't the Ohio State game. It was the Nebraska game. Yeah, but no, nobody's one hundred percent at that point and really struggled. Then you saw the limitations of the offensive line in that game. Right, that wasn't his fault. But no, yeah. nobody voting is looking at the Nebraska game. They remember the Ohio State game. And right, this, this it, which, is, of- which isn't entirely fair because he was hurt and because they had they were already down 28 points. A couple runs early that, that he still broke out and, and got a little bit of chunks, but you know they abandoned the run because they had to throw the ball. He ran six times. The only way to get back in the game was throwing the ball. Yeah, he ran six times. I mean, and he wasn't 100%. And and, uh, and so, yeah, I don't uh, – that it was short-sighted. That game was such a devastating blow, though, for MSU, and they looked so outclassed on that field. I think that was the moment that, that, that did it. The problem is – But it's not a team award either. That's the whole nope, other – Nope, and this is what I wrote. How many people watched him run in the snow against Ohio State – or Penn State, sorry, when he was really good again and, and adjusting to um, – that was well, a tremendous we're, we're, performance. The guy's never played in snow. Well, yeah, difficult conditions. And you know what? But and here's part of what I wrote today. They didn't see it. But you know what I didn't see? The Iron Bowl. Because I was covering a Toledo-Michigan State uh, basketball game. What, what I'm saying is the, the, the system creates this. Most of us who cover, who are, and this is, I think, the majority of voters who cover a single team, if you do this at all well, you're working, forget when Toledo Western Michigan non-conference basketball comes into play, you're working at least a 12-hour Saturday, and you are not playing catch-up on everything else. Yeah, you're not paying a great deal of attention, and so you're sort of playing catch-up, and that's why the quarterback thing happens. That's why That's why a guy like Will Anderson, who people keep telling me might be the absolute best player in college football, I, I, Again, I didn't see enough. I didn't see enough. It still comes down. You might be the best player in college football, and it's tremendous, but when you have other guys that are the best at your position, that accentuates what you're doing. That may or not, may not have anything to do with your skill set. This is why you see guys come from the FCS level, from the NAIA level, and end up being quality NFL players because everybody fixates and focuses on the guys that have accum- that are played next to five-star guys for the entirety of their careers and had, had good success partly because they're they're very talented, partly because the guys around them are very talented. Yeah, and and, and I'm with you, but the point is I, that I didn't see – I mean, it, it's possible if I watched every Will Anderson game as intently as I watched every uh, Kenneth Walker carry that I would have left thinking, you know right. what, this guy is just special at another level. You know, like people are missing this. And and so that that's the problem with the award. And everybody's going to see somebody more than they see other people. I just think that the – is it the, let me ask you this though: Is it the problem of the award, or is it the problem of modern football, where every game is on television? Well, I mean, you could argue though. I mean, this is this award goes back to the '30s, so I mean, right, you could argue though the you award can't, is. You can't, what what is what is the argument to change how the 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 process is done? Well, two things: one, you could argue the award was a sham through the '80s until they had games on every. I mean, how many games did voters actually see back then, or could they see? But you, oh, it was hype. I mean, it was yeah. I, that that used to come directly from sports information people. But to me, if you wanted to fix it, and this is what I kind of finished with today, you have to. If you really want the award, the, 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 the process of the voting for the award to match the prestige of the award and, and have the dignity and the, the uh, uh, um, accuracy. 
you you've got to make it like a and, and it could be a 50 person panel it could be a 40 person panel of uh, retired coaches and writers or a few national writers who, who are committed to watching you know all the games every week and almost almost in terms of you know and, and, or as much as they can you know it doesn't have to be quite the college football selection committee level of, of intent but so maybe it's a bigger pool where you're getting 50 to 100 and you're getting people who really really see it so that people in that room when they're having that discussion have seen Walker against Penn State every you know and they've seen every everybody's case or the other thing that somebody else brought up and I put it in the column and I, I should give credit to where it's due I wish I could remember who who should go back and find it actually but um and I hadn't thought of this until then was you just take the winner of all these individual position awards right Blitnikoff you know Doak Walker everything and, and you take all of the winners by position and then say okay now we are going to put to a panel we are going to judge all these and and but you had to be the best at your position that's actually a really interesting theory that i do like i mean it's it makes it basically like uh the playoff structure for for the the individual award right if this is the top top award how do you get to be the top running back or the top quarterback if you weren't the other the top player if you weren't the top quarterback but does it even matter i mean really i mean what is a top football what is the best football player anyways quite honestly I mean, well, Kenneth Walker looked like him for a lot of years. Every one of those guys will tell you that they are just doing their one of eleven, right? How many times do you hear that? So if yeah. you're, if you, a lot of times you're, I mean, quarterbacks to running backs to defensive players to whatever. I mean, who's to say the kicker is not the best player, right? I mean, so, it's just it's it's sometimes apples to oranges to bananas that we're arguing. And there is an argument, and here's the problem: there there was an there is an argument, probably four six guys as finalists, right? And and so you know. You could send six. I mean, we, we say that, but we don't know the voting. We don't know how the voting right. turned. Okay, so and we don't know the voting. And 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 here's the thing. But they also okay. said before the voting was finished that it was going to be four guys. Right. But here's my. You remember Mark D'Antonio used to do this with captains. I think it was like he he didn't set the finalist total to, or, or, or the number of captains right until they saw the voting. So it was wherever the severe drop off was was that was where he cut the captains off. So instead right. of saying there are going to be four finalists. And maybe Kenneth Walker finished so far back, and we'll eventually see that, and that's a whole different discussion. But but maybe you say, okay, you know what? This year, two guys were way in front of everybody else. These are the two finalists. This year, five guys are sort of within earshot of each other, and then there's a significant drop. These are the five finalists. Maybe that might be a, a better way to, to, to do it, sort of, because ultimately what you, the reason – this became a, a big deal today instead of on Saturday, at least in our market, is because the Heisman Trophy ended yesterday. Like, the Heisman Trophy is over. And so, you know, they can say it Saturday. You know, the Heisman Trophy was yesterday because of the drama that created the finalists, because of the finalist thing. What's interesting, though, is, you know, somebody today pointed to me and said, well, you know, I got a lot of early comments on a tweet I said I sent yesterday. People said, "Oh, you're lazy for not looking all this up. You can see it in the stats." I'm like, "No, no. If you just look at stats, there are lots of running backs who had Kenneth Walker's numbers. If you the just look at stats, Kenny, Kenny Pickett wins this thing. Kenny like, CMU had the the similar numbers. He's the leading, actually the one leading the nation. Lou, uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, and, and and then there are people who don't look at. This is how there are people who look at. Um, but Derek this is. Henry. And Derrick right. Henry won all these 
you know, what, but Derrick Henry had like 15 games that year to get to that number. Like you have to know where he was at this point. So it wasn't like he was 600 yards ahead of Kenneth Walker on that point. And yardage, while Kenneth Walker's yardage was outstanding and his touchdown, you had to understand the impact and you could see it on the field. And, and that's what a lot of people, and that's what, and frankly, it's not their fault. If you're covering. This Idaho's is, this fault. is Michigan state's problem though. This is Mel Tucker's fault in a lot of ways as well, because in him not talking about Kenneth Walker's injury, if that was the case in that Ohio State game, that that did not get out. That that you you now have a running back who bookended two career high games of 30 carries against Maryland and 30 carries against Penn State with six carries and seven touches against Ohio State. And you're trying to say that he was injured. You have to understand the situation for that guy and what the narrative is in that moment, because now all all the people see is six carries, 25 yards. Was he hurt? How much was he hurt? And why was he able to run 30 times on either end of it, including 30 in the snow on the same bad ankle? Well, and that's fair. Um, I I think. Well, it's also the fact that, you know, why did you take him out of the game? You know, this guy's up for individual awards. Give him the ball. I I also think. There's a you, lot of things that you could sit there and look at at with this in, in the microscope of that Ohio State game and and put the the blame elsewhere. Not on Kenneth Walker, because Kenneth Walker, like I said, there were a couple carries early in that game where he looked like he was breaking out and didn't matter. They were already three, four touchdowns down and they started throwing the ball, but they weren't giving it to him. They weren't using him in the pass game. There were a lot of it. So and here's the thing. If you weren't using him in a pass game in that game then he was probably hurt, right? If you're throwing the ball, then you want to get your best weapon in space and give him the ball. So if he's hurt, say it. Well, that's on Michigan State as well for not pushing that and saying, listen, this guy was hurt. He was our Heisman Trophy candidate. It's terrible, but this is where we were at in late November. They, they didn't do that job. You got there, there are other entities that were selling their people one way or another that Michigan State didn't do a job of. Your primary objective is a couple things. One, it's not just worrying about the Heisman Trophy. It's you're trying to win a football game. And I'm not Absolutely. sure it serves you to, before the game certainly, say that your running back's dinged up somewhere and make him a target. I also think that when you talk about taking him out, your, your primary goal is is his NFL career and his health. I, I, I do hate that narrative as if there's not, not eight quality control people on Ohio State staff watching every – second slowed down frame of footage of Michigan State's Maryland game to look at Kenneth Walker's ankle. It's a garbage narrative that I hate because these coaches spend so much time watching film. They know every guy that walks off the field with a sneeze. So I agree that the paranoia is overdone with injuries. I mean, it it just is. It's, um, but that and this was the closest that Mel Tucker came to admitting a guy was hurt. Really, right? I mean, this was in the post game. How could you not? How could you not? Right. I mean, there was a close up. It, it began in the Maryland game with a close up of that green tape on his ankle. That was the, the broadcast right there. Everybody knew he was hurt, right? Or at least significantly taped up. Talk about it at that point, because I mean, you know, it's what what exactly are you saying that's not already out there? That's my yeah, point. But to, but you got to you got to protect that guy's image and that guy's longevity because now all it just looks like is well he didn't he didn't perform against Ohio State. Yeah, he got taped up. But if you tell people he's got a bad ankle, the way after he gets tackled, people are going to twist it. There's going to be all sorts of stuff they're going to do to it. 
and you're right that they're they may already know it, but I don't think you you necessarily want to add to that information. That that's all. I, it would have it would have been better if he didn't play at all for him probably for that highs. But but things could have also gone differently because he still ran six times for 25 yards. And if they had somehow stayed in the game for a quarter and a half, and he had gotten to run 15 times for 70 yards in that game or 60 yards, I, I think it might have been a little bit of it. And he had a couple runs where he looked the part and. And everything, I, I think it could have been a little bit of a different. Uh, he was he was five for twenty. I think he was around five for twenty five or twenty six in the first half. So that's, yeah, that's five yeah. yards a pop. Yeah. No one's doing the math on that. That he was running five yards a pop on uh, if it was on a bad ankle. But you know, and you, I, I said this. You remember after the game, I was saying this that if he weren't giving him the ball, it was coaching malfeasance. If he was if he was significantly hurt, that's one thing. But if they weren't giving him the ball, and that's what that's where you look at it and you say bookend the two 30 carry games and you put this six carry Ohio state game, that's an outlier and there's something doesn't add up with it. You know, either that was either coaching malfeasance or you got to say that he was that hurt that he couldn't do it. One quick thing to, to, to that. And, and I, you know, totally agree. It would have been helpful for his Heisman chances. If he, yeah. if, if he said something, all you know, hindsight at this point, I mean, but I also think there was a narrative like when, when that game happened, I think Walker was representative of Michigan State and sort of this – and Michigan State is not this program, but sort of was this season. Little engine that could and this great storyline. And people want to bring that down. And this was the aha, you're a pretender, and that got all locked in together. It's not just, it's not just you know, uh, MSU, it's Walker. It's everything they've done. I think that, that little bit inside – because you could see that in sort of the national – like, you know, I, I mean, look – to me, Aiden Hutchinson, shiny I know a lot toys. of people are really, shiny objects is what well, people are really what, mad about the Aiden Hutchinson thing. And and I, I disagree. Like I, I am a I, I do I thought he was unbelievable against MSU and it took everything Kenneth Walker had. Kenneth Walker was better, but it took everything he had um to propel MSU. But they were just holding Hutchinson at the end. He was unbelievable against Ohio State. He was unbelievable against Iowa. Like like he is worthy of consideration. But to that point, he was helped by having a beyond Michigan's own PR department. He had ESPN. He had Fox, uh, beating his drum quite a bit, and that that definitely didn't hurt him. And, and Kenneth Walker, after Gus Johnson said, "I'll see you in New York," really did not have that outside of MSU uh, the rest of the way. And that's that's the that's the fault of ESPN. But and, and the fall of Fox. But keep in mind, these TV networks, they add to this problem with the award. I mean, this is the same network that, with a college football playoff after week one, originally in 2014, would start with who is in, who's out, can they ever come back? And they've gotten a little better at it because it's played out with chaos over the years. The point is, they create drama, they create hype. This is what these people do because they're about television ratings, not accuracy and prestigious awards. You know what I go back to with the Hutchison thing? Rutgers ran for 196 yards on them. I mean, that's... Rutgers ran for 196 yards. Rutgers didn't have much of a run game. He's a pass rusher, though. Well, I understand. I understand, but you got to control the edge too. I mean, there's there's a lot that comes with it, but you know, and that's again, that's that's. But again, this is the linebacker from Alabama. I, I think Armstrong would have been probably a better fit if you're going for a defensive player. But I really do think, though, the whoever said that about putting all the individual awards into that. I mean, that's what they do with the coaches. I mean, the coaches go region by region. 
And then they put the five regional finalists. That's why Mel Tucker is up for coach of the year um, over Jim Harbaugh because they're in the same region. And Michigan, you know, Mel Tucker gets that. And now he's going against Luke Fickle and Sam Pittman of Arkansas and uh, Utah State's coach. And I forget who the the other one was, but, um, you know, that that would that would solve, I think, a lot of things. But, you know, the Heisman's stuck in its way. And, you know, it's you know, it, it is what it is. It's a it's a television show anymore with a lot of these things. So to, you know, the, the you look at the. <laughs> I mean, how long did it take in the middle of Monday night football countdown to announce the finalists? Kind of, kind of see where this, where this, a lot of these things go anymore. Let me clean up a couple things here from the past twenty-five minutes. Uh, <laughs> very spirited discussion here on the Heisman. Uh, first off, Lou Nichols is the name of the Central Michigan running back. I got, just wanted to say Lou. I like it. <laughs> I think Lou. 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 It's Lou. Uh, Graham, you said people. But we were talking about the Heisman Trophy voting, and we're like Kenneth Walker might be, you know, much further down than the rest of the four finalists. And I don't think there's a might about it. I think the answer, unfortunately, for Spartan fans is yes. He's otherwise he would have been invited to New York if there wasn't such a huge gap between the four finalists and wherever Walker finishes in the voting, fifth or sixth or or wherever. So you got that. And then Chris, you well, this is really early. This is like within the first like seven minutes. You talked about. Ohio State having five offensive linemen, you know, that are NFL quality well. I mean, the part of the 800 thing is that he just absolutely demolished all of those Ohio State five-star that's guys, and, and, that's, uh, and that's probably part of the reason why. And, and then, But then you see, again, you see Kenneth Walker demolish Michigan, and it doesn't matter. It's just what's the, That's my point. What's, yeah. what's down the line on his side of the ball? How many of those guys are going to play on Sundays? Right. I mean, at least one probably. You when you when you start pushing double teams, who are you going to double team? I mean, you should have been double teaming Hutchison if you weren't. And, and the Stroud thing, of course, is, and it hurts. It's hard to make an argument as a Michigan State fan against Stroud when he just lit up the lit up the Saturday afternoon sky against uh, against Michigan State with those seven touchdown passes or whatever it was, uh, and three hundred and fifty yards. And I think that's it, it's just you're just in a tough spot if you're a Michigan State fan trying to trying to get Kenneth Walker in, in, in there somehow. But let's transition here to the bowl game against Pitt. Uh, that was announced on Sunday. And uh, I guess the thing is interesting is that, well, besides Kenny Pickett being a Heisman Trophy finalist and the Spartans are going to get a chance to see him, for, for better or for worse, that's something we can, we can get into as well. You've got Pitt being coached by Pat Narduzzi, who is the former Michigan State defense coordinator, and I think that's going to be a lot of the talking point. But I think either Pat or Mel kind of talked about this in, in terms of uh, his ties to the current Michigan State staff are, are pretty minimal, right? Would it just be Harlan Barnett that that would have been there when he was there? And Ron so, Burton. Okay, Ron, Ron Burton too. So you got, you, got, you got two people there. But I, I think Pat was – I think it was Narduzzi who kind of referenced. Well, I don't have that much ties to the staff anymore, so they're really it's just another game or whatnot. But I know that I know the Narduzzi thing is going to be hit quite a bit. But uh, I mean, Darian Harris is still there, and you know, you talk about all the former players that I mean, that you know, you're talking about the this glorious era of Michigan State football and the guy who was the architect of that defense. I mean, it's you know, it's there's a lot of people that are that thought this is the other part of it. It's not so much that, okay? It's not so much 
what Pat Narduzzi did between 2007 and 2014. It's what happened in the last two years. Pat Narduzzi really wanted the Michigan State job when it came open. A lot of people, including a lot of people that were Michigan State fans, really thought that he would be a shoo-in to, to, for years to take over if Mark D'Antonio retired, and they didn't go that route. You've got the other side of the equation that Michigan State, within the last six months, has hired a new athletic director. And guess who was pushing for that job and being pushed for that job? Pitts Heather Light. So you've got a lot of subplots here that go simply beyond just football games. And I, I do think, though, that the Pickett and Walker angle now is, you know, even though those those things uh, with Narduzzi and like and all that, all that stuff's there. And that's all a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I think from a football standpoint, the Walker and Pickett thing, I mean, this is it's going to be a dominant thing is like, can can Walker show that he deserved to be in New York? You know, as you know, is and, he going to be healthy if he if he if either of these guys do play? I mean, we still got almost a month before they do. They are supposed to go into this game. Yeah, Walker might want to walk into that room and ask to play defensive back because obviously how Walker gets judged <laughs> against him is going to be partly, again, yeah. like with Ohio State, how his own pass defense can hold up against Kenny Pickett, which, you know, and again, they're going to have some time to devise something. They're going to have some time to be a little healthier. They, they should be in better overall condition than they were in, uh, for the Ohio State game. But, yeah, but I agree that that storyline became uh, much more juicy even than it was um, before. It's it's it's. Uh, well, you know, here, here's what's going to be even more interesting. Michigan State's now, as in real time uh, from our, our good friend Colton Pouncey over at The Athletic, they're going to be looking for a new defensive backs coach as Traveris Tillman is going to Georgia Tech. Not exactly the best time to be switching defensive backs coaches, but you also yeah. would have imagined that this was going to happen at some point. Maybe maybe Mark D'Antonio comes back for, for a couple weeks and, and my helps guess out. Is, my guess is Mel or Harlan – just take yeah. a bigger role um, and, 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 and handle that. I, I want to ask all you guys, like, Phil, like, like what was interesting to me is all year long, for the most part, outside of that Ohio State game, which was this sort of giant thud, but then you had this uplifting Penn State game. They had to win to get themselves into that game, the, 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 the New Year's Six games. It was sort of this crescendo, right? There was very little that was not exciting and thrilling and with a lot at stake because they, they were undefeated for so long. And even when they lost to Purdue, they were still had everything, you know, ahead of them, so to speak. This was the first time, I, you know, for a minute, I felt this people kind of go, yeah, well, you know, because I think I, I do think the 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 Peach Bowl. And this is the one problem with sort of artificially elevating a game into the New Year's Six is that it just doesn't have the same. Uh, like the Fiesta Bowl, the orange, the rose, the sugar, these are the bowls we know, we learn to come up with on New Year's Day. Even the Outback and, and, and Citrus, if you're a Big Ten fan, these are bowls you now associate with success, a successful season on New Year's Day. And, and the Peach Bowl is like, what? What is that? It was, it was the third-tier bowl in what league for how long? And, and it wasn't it isn't third tier. Third, yeah, third, was. Sorry, third top. I should say third game, not third tier. It was more like the Outback Bowl is what it was. Uh, I mean, it, you this is this isn't. I don't think part of that. This is part of the construct of what the BCS did to devolve games, to to True. to destroy games. Because the same True. thing happened to the Cotton Bowl. The Cotton right. Bowl got out of that structure, and all of a sudden we're thinking four bowl games. But the Peach Bowl, 
was always a good bowl game. The Cotton Bowl was always a good game. The Holiday Bowl for a number of years was a very good bowl game that, you know, when you got, when you cut them down like this for TV purposes, <clears throat> I'm going to so, keep drum beating that let argument. Me, let but, me finish my point, though. My, my point was, and you're, you're totally right, but if you look at the rankings of the teams in like the Citrus Outback Bowl and the Peach Bowl and, and a lot of years in the 2000s, and you're right, it is the BCS fault. Yeah, that's the BCS era. Right, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying how, how we sort of perceive it is what I'm talking getting to. And I think that's where the, Eh, came from. I also think Atlanta is, a, is like a destination vacation over the holidays is, is less so than Florida or Arizona or California. No different than going to Dallas. Well, that's 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 a fair. We learned that two years in a row. Just how much Dallas can be like Detroit in December. That, 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 that's a fair point. But I, I do think I do think even though it's not necessarily a great matchup, um, I do think a little of that is has turned as people look at it, as people realize how good. Pitt is and, and the star power they have. I think the Heisman Trophy thing helps. The Narduzzi thing helps a little bit. Um, but I, I do think people are now um, – and I, ultimately the big thing that's for Michigan State fans is what's happened with Michigan. Everything – your own success is relative to what's happening nearby. And, and the fact that Michigan has won the Big Ten title and going to the playoff, it makes your accomplishment – like if Michigan was 6-6, six and six, Michigan State going 10-2 and two to the New Year's Six game, playing an ACC champ would have been like – Boom. You know, that people would have been excited. But here's, I, I here's, think here's a question for you in the middle of all this and thinking back to Dallas. What would happen if Michigan State was hiring a new coach right now? How much would Jim Harbaugh be asked about that while preparing for the CFP? That's a great point, because that was what irked Antonio so much in 2014, the first Cotton Bowl. It was when Harbaugh was hired, and they're ten and two, and Michigan had been down, and, and, and the story was all about. And it was it was also a sign that day of how it, w- it was the first year of the playoff, and it was the problem with the playoff construct and what it did to these New Year's Six games. Because if that's a playoff game, the questions aren't about a new coach somewhere else, but that is looked at as a showcase exhibition, and it's one of the many reasons uh, the, the the four team playoff doesn't work. Phil, I have a question for you. Like I feel like you have thoughts, and I want to hear what your thoughts are right now. I think the collective meh is just the fact that it's not Notre Dame that they're playing in the bowl game more mm-hmm. than more than anything else because that's kind of who people kind of thought they were going to play going in and uh, and I think Pitt is just Pitt man I mean Graham you're a gambler uh, every time you bet on Pitt you lose every time you bet against Pitt you lose you know there's a few school <laughs> there's a few schools which, that, <laughs> which makes which makes them just like Michigan State historically <laughs> yeah so that means there's spite bets coming a lot of people betting against them in the Peach Bowl I, I will tell you that having been around all these two fan bases for the entirety of my life almost they are very similar in their pathos a lot of success in the past and a lot of you know hand wringing and you know, self-immolation at times for 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 how things un- unfold. Since I mean, I grew up in, I grew up in in Pittsburgh, <clears throat> grew up in Pittsburgh in the in the Marino Danny Marino era, and uh, people would say going down to going down to Cardiac Hill, and you gonna you gonna you gonna go watch Danny Marino, and I'll say, yeah, maybe. We'll wait and see they go to the bowl game. And we go to the bowl game, we're going to end up in, you know, Atlanta. Going to go to Atlanta? I don't know. I promised you guys I would do, I would go a full Yinzer podcast. I couldn't really do it. Sorry that we don't have Mike DeFable here to, to, to get a second, I know. a second Yinzer, uh, <laughs> awesome. Yinzer win in. Here. We should have, we should have brought in DeFable <laughs> just for that reason. The, the pit thing is just like, uh, 
it's Graham. You're talking. It's a, sort of similar to your Heisman thing about you know we don't. I don't see Bryce Young except for maybe a couple highlights here and there. We have not watched. I very few of us, maybe outside of Chris, because he's from from Pennsylvania. But we have. I haven't watched any Pitt at all this season, so I don't know anything about them. You know, they're not on the national scale of an Alabama or a Georgia or whatnot. So I think they lost the Western, and that's and that and that's part of the menace too. But uh, nah, that's yes. that's ultimately what comes down to deflating some Michigan State fans thoughts i think in, in in a lot of ways i mean yeah as the acc has been down yeah that there's there's it it's kind of a regional game and, and you played them in some non-conference games that weren't marquee games but ultimately it comes down to the the savvy fans look and see Pitt lost to western michigan and that's what you're going against that's what they paired you against but it's it's not even about that i mean it, what what would have been if you had played oklahoma state say i mean I think the other the, the, that it it would have would it have been the same argument maybe I mean Oklahoma State you know Big Twelve plays no defense anyways right. you know, I, I think also the 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 thought going into this was wow it's going to be a great marquee game in in Atlanta in Arizona to watch Michigan State and Notre Dame and yeah. the megaphone trophy is going to be at stake and that was never going to happen so a, a, a couple thoughts on that one and and granted my like my perceptions i forget it must have been a midweek game or a night game after we covered a noon game or something i did watch the most pit football i watched this year until some of the acc championship was um nc game in north carolina yeah yep and and i remember watching that game thinking what's the hype i don't get the hype on kenny pickett i remember watching that game going wait a sec their nfl scott the lions better not draft this guy that was my thought. Like I was like, don't don't make this mistake. Like he just looks okay, and 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 I, I you know a, a guy that I didn't think he was as good at that I sort of had some thoughts about. Um, he doesn't. He runs a lot better than him. But in terms of a passer, like I remember watching Matt Ryan at Boston College as a passer. I believe State played them in a bowl game too. They did. They did. Yeah. Yeah. And um and that you know I, I don't know I I thought. Pickett was like a poor man's Matt Ryan was a passer in that game. I saw one game again, and then I saw a little bit later in the rain. That was that was that was a very rainy, rainy game. And, right, and and um, they probably won't stumble across this podcast for those use it as bulletin. bulletin no, no rain. Like no MSU rain basketball does with Chris's stuff now, but the um, the <laughs> well, I should okay. I should we we should move forward before I explain that joke. Uh, <laughs> by the way, if you want a game to maybe gamble on, I haven't seen the betting line. I like Michigan State, whatever the line is against Minnesota, because Minnesota is going to be Minnesota seven and zero, so the lines and they're at home, so the line's not going to be that juiced. And Michigan State, since the end of the Toledo game, Israel put up one of Solari's headlines from last year, the Minnesota <laughs> debacle that happened at Williams Arena, and he has made this like the Super Bowl. Like you show <laughs> up and you, this is this is, I guarantee you, those guys are. Terrified of not showing up and playing well at Minnesota this week, <laughs> more than any game I've seen in a while. Thanks to, I mean, what happened last year, and also Chris Solari's story. What's interesting and, uh, is I, that was one of the games that I actually didn't go to. One of the few games last year that I yeah. didn't go to in person. What does the headline say, Chris? It's like uh, wait, historic beatdown, I believe. Ah. You know, we don't write the headlines, <laughs> right. but but they knew my byline, which was even funnier. <laughs> well, yeah, Paul no, on on well, Monday knew. Yeah, we saw Chris's story that Coach put up on the on the board. And like, and everyone's like, like I think it was Chris's, and they said it's a historic beatdown, and everyone was like, started pointing at me. No, they've been, they've been, yeah, because they've been staring at it. I think they memorized you. Like, God, this is I guess, yeah, hell, man. 
I so mean, I, I'm telling yeah, you that again. I I didn't write that headline. <laughs> I would. I, yeah, we write a lot of ours at the LSJ, but I would have. I would. So uh, the, I, I will. Um, the, you pointed that out to them, so maybe they at least know that. I would have said the same thing though if they had accused. I don't want that. No, I'm kidding. Um, but um, I do think it's a game that there could be some value in. Not saying it'll happen. I'm just saying I think there's a game that could be some value in. But I just think it'll be really interesting. Now you look at Pickett's numbers, and they're unreal. I mean, they're just unbelievable. Like 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, seven picks. He's had an amazing year. He's got an outstanding receiver. What 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 he has done, and what Jordan Addison has done, his top receiver, yeah, would both be single season records at Michigan State, and at every category, pretty much. I mean, those guys he, have been. He phenomenal. broke Dan Marino's touchdown record. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that says something right there. Yeah. So it's 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 uh, yeah. So anyway, I uh, look. I've, I've come. It's gonna be. I think it'll be an interesting game. I think the Notre Dame thing is correct. I think Oklahoma State is correct that it would not have been um, any more. Oklahoma State actually plays good defense. Would have been a better matchup for Michigan State than, than because they're kind of a weird Big 12 team. They only average six, allow 16.8 uh, points a game. Um, but their offense turns the ball over a lot and is, is inconsistent. And, and Notre Dame would have been perfect in this sense, not only brand and cachet and maybe destination, but it was Notre Dame style-wise – gives Michigan State a better chance to win. Their strength is running the football. Their strength is defense. Those are better teams for Michigan State to face. But I'll say this. I think that there is a chance to exercise some demons, so to speak. Like, there's a chance to come out of this more meaningful. And this might be the spin a little bit here. But what I'm saying is, if if you want to leave this bowl game feeling significantly better than yourselves than you did during the end of the season for any reason, if you hang in there against Kenny Pickett, in this passing attack and you win the game and you've done some things in the, in the, in the bowl prep to take steps, even with a lot of, even with the same personnel, mostly towards fixing some things for next year and doing some things differently and, and feeling better about your past defense going forward. That's significant. And that's an opportunity that would not exist against Notre Dame or Oklahoma state. I agree with you on that. I mean, that's ultimately what this next couple weeks, next three weeks is about, it's about building towards next year. And, if you aren't playing for the CFP, that's what you're doing. And in doing so, you you want to do so by putting forth your best performance. And, you know, the the, the ability to get healthy, um, I don't think there was any secret that their secondary wasn't good when it was healthy, but then it wasn't healthy. And that made it even worse when you had fewer guys. I mean, you, you, you know, you lost Gervin to the portal. I mean, they're, they're going to be depleted on bodies. I don't know, you know. So something's got to give, whether it be switching some guys around to help out for some depth, um, you know, whatever that may be, um, you know, or if it's just honestly Ronald Williams, I think he was dealing with a back injury and um, Marquis Lowry has been dealing with a nagging leg injury that he hasn't been able to shake. I think it's, it seemed like it was kind of a high ankle something along those lines. But if, if those guys are able to get back and healthy and you're able to figure out what Chester Kimbrough has been doing, because the one thing we don't know, because again, we don't know if guys are hurt or not, but Kimbrough has been beaten pretty badly over the time. And if they, there have been times where they've taken him out of the game and put guys that, you know, are probably playing 50, 60% because Xavier Henderson told us that some of those corners were as banged up as they were. Henderson himself was banged up those last two games. Um, so there's, you know, you get that secondary a little healthier. I think that's kind of one of those things that they do need to springboard in the next year. And, and, you know, for the game itself, 
Um, yeah, I don't think a lot of people here understand the the Pitt fan base because I think people look at Heinz Field, uh, which is an NFL stadium, which is like eight miles, you know, five, eight miles away from campus. I mean, I went down there in 2015 and and spent a week down there and and talked with Pat and he was trying to get, you know, that's been a challenge is getting the students out there. Because, I mean, it's not exactly walking from across Grand River to Spartan Stadium. I mean, you've, you, it's, the, you're either taking public transportation. They started, you know, one of the things that he started doing was trying to get buses to go from Oakland down to uh, the North Shore. So that's a, that's that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. You're not, you know, you got to get down there and then you got to get back. It's not the night. You're not doing what MSU does. You're not bringing you're not bringing 14,000 students in buses. Right. It's not going to happen. I mean, you're not getting the normal tailgating experience that you see on college campuses. That's you know what when I talked when I mentioned about going on Cardiac Hill. I mean, Old Pitt Stadium uh, was cramped. Um, it was. But it was right there in the middle of campus in Oakland. It's actually where the Peterson Event Center is now where they play basketball. They got rid of that to the the football stadium to build this basketball palace for a basketball program that has kind of waned over the years. But that's another story altogether in the middle of Western Pennsylvania football country uh, where there's not many great basketball players coming out of. But again, I digress on that. Um, You know, that's a challenge. But there is a pit fan base there now it's a it's a hard sell in pittsburgh because the way that the pecking order typically will go it's steelers 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 penguins steelers maybe the pirates and then you know where Pitt falls, Pitt has its kind of niche, and there's a lot of Penn State alums there. So Penn State kind of sometimes will dwarf them, but the Pitt fan base is there. I, I've seen that Pitt fan base since I was a kid when they had, you know, Bill Fralick and Marino and this is post Dorset. I mean, you know, they if they've if you won a national championship in my lifetime, that's pretty good. Now it was only two years old when they won it, but that's a whole other story. Um, but there, the, the fan base is there. I, I saw that fan base and I, I just wrote about, uh, Connor Hayward. I mean, Connor Hayward's dad, Craig Ironhead Hayward was a star there. I mean, you know, there, there, she, you know, you think about Shady McCoy, you think about, uh, Revis Island. They, they've put some players into the league, Larry not just players, marquee players, Larry Fitzgerald. They put marquee players into the league. Pickett's going to be another one. Um, you know, that's uh, this is a good bowl game, regardless of what people want to maybe think about what Pitt is. And I think, like I said earlier, that these two fan bases, that it's been 40 some years. Pitt's, Pitt's, Pitt's about where Michigan State was in the early 2000s right now. And they're starting to see a little bit under Narduzzi, a little bit of an upturn and a little bit more interest. And, you know, this is this is for them the best bowl game they've been in since maybe like 2002 they played in a fiesta bowl one year against utah and urban meyer that was that's but this is this is a big deal for Pitt. and you know if michigan state people slough it off i mean you know if michigan state blows it off they could very well lose this game and not look good so before we move on to basketball here uh let's talk about uh some transfers here a little bit we've already had 
a number of Spartan football players transfer out. Before the season ended, we had Kalon Gervin, uh, the cornerback, linebacker Chase Klein, and uh, defensive end Alex Okella. All three of those guys entered the portal during the season. And then since the regular season has ended, we have seen safety Michael Dow, cornerback Emmanuel Flowers, kicker Evan Johnson, cornerback Michael Gravely Jr., cornerback C.J. Hayes, and wide receiver Ricky White also enter the transfer portal. So I don't know if any of those are surprises necessarily, but uh, Graham, do you have any thoughts on uh, anybody who has entered the portal? I mean, no huge surprises. I mean, they're all guys who have either had some things happen to them on campus or they're guys who are looking for more playing time who are veterans who maybe have a year left and are looking to go somewhere and they're graduating. Like CJ Hayes is playing in the bowl game. It's not like he's leaving on bad terms. So Dow's my surprise. Yep, I agree. Dow's your surprise? Okay. Yeah. One thing I think, it, it, and I caution, you know, he he was still playing a considerable amount in the Penn State game in the nickel. I mean, he, he went from starter to backup, but was splitting a lot of time with with Darius Snow at the nickel spot. But but I do know that that family puts a lot of emphasis into education, so he may have another opportunity from a graduate standpoint, or you know, a grad school standpoint that might be outside of the realm. Like actually lo- using the grad school transfer thing like it's supposed to be used, like to go someplace I, and get a graduate degree, which is great. I mean, that's what ideally, like if you can stretch your football career, like I, I love any story of the extra COVID year creating another free year of education yeah, for absolutely. any football player who's able to go somewhere and get a, started or get a graduate degree. I think that's outstanding. Uh, this is a little anecdote there. Um, you know, Michael told me that. You know, Andrew is has been with the New, or- New Orleans Saints, but he spent the summer working on his master's, I believe, at, at uh, either Penn State or Northwestern. Yeah, Northwestern. Dave is, yeah, I think, it maybe. I think David might be at Northwestern, yeah. and Andrew was working on his stuff through Penn State, okay. through grad stuff. So, I mean, it's, you know, that that's the only the only thing that surprised me is that he that, that he's still playing a significant amount. That and the in-season Chase Klein one are the two that really <laughs> still, still really surprised me because Chase was the number three linebacker, still playing a ton. But uh, yeah, that is, we we talked about that a couple months ago, so we don't need to go back into that. But uh, let's move on to basketball. The Spartans will begin their Big Ten slate Wednesday against the aforementioned Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, the Spartans are, are coming in a little hot here. Uh, they're now ranked in the top 25. Well, they were last week, but the, the two so two straight weeks they've been in the top 25. Uh, they played the nation's hardest schedule according to the or excuse me the nation's toughest schedule among the Power Five teams according to the net rankings. So they they kind of got some good vibes going here since since the loss to Baylor in the uh, battle for Atlantis. There we go. <laughs> Had to think of the name of it. So uh, Graham, do you think the Spart? I mean, just kind of give us kind of a temperature of the Spartan basketball team and, and where they're at right now. I think they're in a really good place, to be honest. I, I think they're uh, because what they are is they're pretty good. Uh, they're far from a finished product, but they've got a lot of potential to get someplace, right? They've got a lot of interesting pieces who are still sort of figuring out who, what they're going to be, who they're going to be, how it all, is all going to work, and that that goes for guys like Malik Hall, who we've seen have games where he, he steps up and, and is really good for stretches or great for the whole game, as it was against Loyola. That goes for a, a guy like uh, that goes for both their point guards, but especially it's a Tyson Walker, who I think has really improved play lately. I think um, that goes for a guy who's ascending quickly and, you know, and, and um, um Akins. And I think that goes for, you know, Max Christie and a guy who's, I mean, who's struggling a little offensively right now, but is going to play major minutes and is critical to everything they do. Like so, there's just so much that's, 
then they, they found something. They're playing pretty well defensively. I, I, I think they're in, in a really good place where they realize they're going to be a good team. And it's now going to be about the develop the in-season development of certain guys to what level they reach as a, you know, ceiling wise. And, uh, but um, I, I think Izzo likes the group. I think there's been some, you know, guys have grown up. They needed to grow up. The fact that they're getting something out of their two, two seniors, their 2018 class, that's, that's pretty good. And Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham jr. I think is, 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 is all good. So I, yeah, I think that the overall temperature of the team right now, they're in a pretty good place. I think the, the thing that I've seen most is the the ability to kind of blend in the freshmen. Um, that's been, you know, that can sometimes be tricky. And I think the Walker thing, I think still, I think there's still a high ceiling with what he does for the offense, but the freshmen in particular, because that that's the biggest reason that the defense, I, to me, has improved as much as it has in a year. Um you know, you're you're talking about Christie guarding some of the better scorers that Michigan State's faced the last couple games. You're talking about, uh, you know, Brooks now starting to play more of a role on the wing because he's out there and able to to get get a little bit of uh, energy on the defensive side. And you know, you're talking about Aikens, who's who's you know. His freakish athleticism allows him to chase dude, whatever dude you put on him. You know, he's what six three somewhere in that range, so he can he's flexible to go against bigger guys. He can, you know, but he's he gets excited on the defensive end. There was actually a play in that uh, I don't remember if it was the Louisville game or if it was the Toledo game where he he made a tremendous play on the offensive end comes down the other way and gets more excited by getting a deflection out on the wing than than it, than he did what he did on offense and that's that's what's different because Tom Izzo has put so much of an emphasis on improving the defense for how bad they were a year ago it was partly partly due to the personnel i mean you know Aaron Henry was good but you know starting at the point you know Rocket Watts wasn't an on-ball defender like many people thought he would end up being and foster lawyer had his physical limitations and that and joshua langford was not the joshua langford of two years three years prior you know post-surgery joshua langford was old man joshua langford and you know his defense it's a it's sad but it, his defense took a significant dive so you had those three or four guys out front and you start seeing walker getting more pressure on the ball um that gets everything else going. I think that's why this, that why w- what you said, Graham, about them being in a good place. I think it starts with that, and that's uh, that's allowed Bingham to do what he does best in the post and block shots, and that that has a, a feeder effect to everything else. The guy I saw getting the most pub on social media after the game was Jay Nakins, who I think these the fans and and. Uh you know the team and the coaches as well are falling out love with Aiden's quickly and what he's been able to bring to the court so far. Hard to believe it was only a year ago that he was getting kicked off of Monty Bates' team, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think it worked out pretty well for him because he's looked he's looked fantastic. It, the, he had that he had a block in the Bahamas. That I still I don't know where he came from to to make that block, but he pinned that ball about halfway up the 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 board while on the move. You know, retreating towards the basket. And elevate it. I mean, it was like you you see the athletic ability of this kid and you're like, okay, you see why Tom Izzo recruited him. I'll be interested yeah. to see what his future is because, I mean, you've got a lot of 
you don't need him to really be a point guard at this point when they're bringing in Holloway next year and they've got Walker and they've got um, Hogard, who I think has really improved dramatically and significantly. But, you know, could he could he be the third guy to to run an offense? You know, and if if the turnovers persist, would he would he be able to maybe usurp some of those minutes that Hogard has at the one? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that's that's not necessarily a question for right now. That's probably more of a question for later in the season and next year. But I've I've been impressed by what I've seen so far. I, I am very curious as well to see his path because you see him as a is a rebounder. It's not just the gliding, the, the rebounding in traffic, the flat-footed leaps. The the you, you, the only thing he does every once in a while now is you'll see sort of the the step back fadeaway Jay when he's like, "I'm having a good game. Let's see how this goes." And then he's on the bench, and um and that happens about <laughs> it's happening about uh, two out of every three games once. And <laughs> but uh, again, th- there's the Charlie Bell comparison, and and, and why well, it's funny because uh, Aiken missed Charlie Bell's career by two full years before he was born. And doesn't have any clue what Thomas was talking that about. That made me feel old when he said yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, we are we are we are always old farts on this podcast, but that was cool. just definitely like uh, Jesus Christ moment. Uh, why why does time work like this? <laughs> and it's just hilarious. I, now now I'm picturing Izzo like constantly bringing up Charlie Bell and Aikens being like, I seriously don't know who this dude is, but okay. The um and so I mean, I, but honestly, it would be like bringing up to Charlie Bell. You know who uh, Lindsey Harrison is. Do you know who Terry Furlow is? You know, yeah. I mean, right, like it, right. You know, 20, no, it's, it's really, it's years really, it's earlier, like, a, uh, okay. Yeah, it's because Izzo's been around so long. But but the, the, in terms of career path, you know, Charlie Bell was a guy who was the off guard for three years and then a point guard. And he was an All-American as a senior. Yeah. And, and and I think that helped him eventually wind up with a spot in the NBA for a little while. And you know, I am I, like I think Aikens is a better athlete, and I think he'll he, he's got a higher ceiling because of that part of things. Um, but I am curious to see like one of the things I think is smart if you're building a roster in 2021 for the next few years. And I think Aikens is going to be there for a few years. Is you don't know who's going to leave your program, who's going to come in, who's not going to work out. You need guys, and Izzo doesn't want to ever get stuck without a point guard again. I mean, there's a chance that. One of these point guards at some point is unhappy and just leaves because you can do that now, yeah. you know. Um, and, and and I'm not saying that looks like it exists. They're both playing a lot. They both seem to be part of things. New guy comes in next year. How does he work out? Like, you know, new guy at one point was Foster Lawyer. Well, that didn't work out at a Big Ten level. So, you know, you you, you never know how a point guard's going to play. You know, we, we all thought a year ago at this point that Akins was maybe the starting point guard this year, right? And, and now he's, you know – and, and how different that would have been as an experience. And um, I do think he has – he's like the opposite of, of players who are disliked and then um, beloved. He's beloved right away because partly he's not playing a position or playing a role that lends itself to criticism. He gets to do all the things that he does well without being told to take care of the team, right? And, and, and Freshman or, year Rocket Watts. Yeah, or even be a scoring option though. Like Christie, people are going, well, wait a sec. Is Christie really what we thought he was? Cause you're expecting 15 points a game. Akins. It's like, Hey, he scored. Hey, a rebound. Look at him glide. Hey, Jay Nakins. Yeah. We all love Jay Nakins. Like that is, that is the collective, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is the collective, uh, Breslin center sound. I hear as Jay Nakins does things. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a little bit electric to, to kind of watch him. Cause he's not, I mean, it's there's a lot of effortless motion to Absolutely. do some of these athletic things that he's he's getting up and 
you know, going up over the the big guys to get rebounds. I mean, there's some of that, I think. But I, no, I think I think you're right to a certain extent. I mean, think about Rocket Watts. You know, his freshman year, he had Tillman and he had Winston and he had Aaron Henry. You know, he 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 was. You know, what you get from him was was gravy. You know, the sky's the limit. The future's the limit. Until you saw 2020, 2021 Rocket Watts with those guys gone and what exactly was his path at that point. So, but I do think the one difference between those two guys, I mean, there's, there's a significant difference in athleticism, significant difference in defense. Um, but I, I think the other thing is there's a significant difference in ball handling that we've seen because Akins isn't afraid to get it out and run um, and attack. Um, and, and he, he seems comfortable with the ball in his hands, you know, distributing and attacking, which Watts wasn't. Um, and I think you mentioned about what your roster construct is in this era of basketball. I think you got to have more of those kind of guys that are versatile ball handlers, especially, you know, the, the, from between one to three, you got to have those guys that, that can have a handle. And then can lead you and push it. I mean, even even look at what they're doing with Malik Hall and and Joey Hauser and running the break. I mean, it, you know they're comfortable putting. You got to have more ball handlers, and that's ultimately what they didn't have last year. Comfortable, capable ball handlers at the high major level. Well, I think they also they have guys who get you know, and Tyson Walker especially. They have a guy who gets people the ball when they expect it, when they need it. Right, and that is a quality in a point guard that even Hogarth struggles with still. Like, Hogarth's taking major steps. He's so good in transition, and he's I think he's got good leadership qualities, and I think he's... There are a lot of things he does well. He's a pretty good defender, but there are things where he is still... There's a bit of tum-tum in him, and, and the fact that if the play runs as expected, it works. But when he drives down, he gets too deep. When he goes on the drive, he doesn't see what's happening around him. He doesn't seem to, at least... And when things get out, you, you sort of what, what my, I think the best way to sum up the difference between these two point guards is, and I'll do this sometimes when they're one of them's on the floor, is I watch all their teammates and how they will look at them and how they react. And it's very clear that MSU's teammates or MSU's players, when Walker is the point guard, they know the ball could come at any moment. Keep doing your thing. If you get if you slip and get open for a split second, he may find you. He and with. There's a more standing around and wondering when Hogarth is on the floor, and and that to me is is a is a tell sign of just that for all Hogarth does well, there are still things if at that position that separate Walker. Hogarth's kind of a one and a half guard, you know what I mean? Walker's yeah. a true one. Yeah. Hogarth's got he's probably a little too small and a little he's not as good of an outside shooter to be a two, but he's got the slashing ability and you know he's got the ball handling. But he also doesn't have the vision. I think the one thing I've seen in a half court with him, is, and we talked about this the other day after the 19 turnovers against Louisville, is he's trying to make too many flashy passes. Like the look away, I mean, the one that he had that turned into a bucket the other way on, on an oop was he's he's at the free throw line trying to do a look away, no look between two guys that have long arms. I mean, that's that's – you know, that's a recognition thing. That's that's trying to do a little more. And I can't remember. I mean, Izzo's had, I mean, maybe Denzel Valentine is the one guy who comes to mind. Like, you remember when Denzel was young and he would try some of those flashy behind the back dribbles and get trapped and all these things that, 
you know, that, you know, freshman year Denzel Valentine to senior year Denzel Valentine were markedly different because he played a lot more under control and with a lot more confidence in himself, but not trying to overdo things. That's where I think, I think Hogard's in that freshman, sophomore year, Denzel Valentine mode, maybe a little bit try, you know, he's got gifts. He just doesn't have the full grasp of what his best way to use them are. We've got two Michigan State Spartan basketball games coming up this week. Uh, the aforementioned Golden Gophers, uh, a beautiful 9 p.m. start uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night in Minneapolis, and then they will play at yeah. home. <laughs> and they'll play at home against Penn State on Saturday. Uh, won't ask for specific scores, but I guess more of a record. Do you think uh, this will be a 2-0 and sweep for the Spartans? 1-1, and 0-2? Graham? I do think it'll be 2-0. I mean, this isn't the top of the Big Ten. I think MSU is playing like one of the better teams in the Big Ten right now, outside of Purdue, obviously. Um, and, and Minnesota, while their record has been good, and and, and I, I don't, I think Minnesota is a lot better than we anticipated, even though they haven't been fully fully challenged. Um, a new coach, and they were supposed to be at the bottom of the league and lost a lot and all that stuff. I I, I think that Izzo has put a premium on this game, and I'm not saying MSU is going to play well. But they are not going to be flat, <laughs> and yeah. and I think and I, I will take the the team with more talent and more seasoning uh, that if, if I know they're coming into a road environment with the right and the, the thing that happened to Butler, which also has a bit of a raised floor and 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 uh, you know it was a tough crowd, tough place to play. But Pinkle Fieldhouse prepares you for Williams Arena a little bit. Um, those guys came out of the shoot quickly and played well, and the road environment was not an issue and. Uh, that was a good sign. So I, I think they beat Minnesota. I think they're better than Penn State, especially at Breslin. Um, so I think they, they come out 2-0. Yeah, I agree with Graham and all that. Um, and I will take full credit for it when they do come out. <laughs> you know. right. I mean, if if you have to stare at one of my stories long enough, it'll probably drive you to to the verge of, of breakout performances. <laughs> we'll just say that. All right, our breakout here. Chris Lard does not predict historic breakdown 2.0 this year. <laughs> nah, not this year. Nah, but we're gonna go down. We're gonna go down south. I'm gonna maybe go down and uh, you know get down to Atlanta. Maybe go to go watch the the Panthers. Go watch Panthers and Spartans. <laughs> that that last part wasn't very Pittsburghese, but obviously you can do better than either of us. So we can't uh, can't even try yeah. can't even try to match match wits with you there on that. <laughs> that's my that's my little drop for DeFabo if he's listening. G yeah, that's a. Uh, it's a very Western Pennsylvania thing. If you can translate that, I'd be very surprised. All right, guys. Any final thoughts before we sign off this week? No, a lot of stuff happening. And, uh, you know, we'll come back next week and talk about a couple of basketball games, right? I mean, this, I think. Uh, Probably some more transfers, perhaps, uh, as well. Could be both ways, too. They could have got, you know, like I, I think football is going to maintain, is going to con- continue to be interesting for the next, next few weeks. I mean,. It is signing day next week on the fifteenth, so we got that. You can tell you can tell some people aren't the beat writers here. <clears throat> hey, all I know is signing day became a lot less eventful and a lot more important, even to people. Like it used yeah. to be in February, we had sort of the crescendo. We get all this stuff ready. There's no time. There's stuff going on now. You don't do it the same way. But I do think the the the, the December signing day is it's the reason awesome. we've seen the coaching carousel yes. so ridiculous in the last month and a half i used to think it was a good thing they've got to get rid of it i I think they've got to push it out to uh march one and they got to have one like august 18th those are the two signing days and and obviously if you sign in august and your coach leaves you can 
de- you know get out of your signature. That should be should be obvious. But they've got to make this a dark period in recruiting. Thanksgiving I, I, to the title game. It, when did you think it should be the uh, the early one? Before the season, like right Absolutely. before the two weeks Absolutely. before the season. It should be, it should be in August. Do you know why coaches don't want to do that? Because they're preparing for the season. Well. This is this yeah. is their window in between to start like Michigan State and Mel Tucker and all of his staff are on the road chasing these kids. They don't want to do that before a season. So how you can argue that? I mean, that's but at the same point, this is going to happen year after year where co- colleges are going to lose coaches and right before bowl games in important moments. So, I mean, it's what do you do? I mean, well, I think it's important to hold coaches to this. So if you're a coach and you claim to care about what's best for kids then you should advocate for the moving of the signing day in a dark period over over uh, recruiting right now. And if you don't, if, if you're more concerned with yourself on that and, and, and how, what's easy for you, then don't tell me that you're in this for the kids because it's, it's, it's just, it can't be true. Both things cannot be true because what has happened this, not only this coaching care, so what happens a lot of years screws the players. And, and even so, uh, it just screws the players. So to me, like if you're about the kids, if you're about the players, then you're for some real reform. It doesn't have to be my exact idea, but you're for some real reform that helps create a situation where there isn't the pressure and the timeline to move now and move yesterday. Yeah. What I want. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.